I have a message about new beginnings and new seasons today, and I am excited about that. But I want to encourage you with this before we begin, that it's important if you're going to enter into new seasons well. And God is a God of new things. He's always up to something new and something fresh. I love that about him. You can always look around and see something new that God's doing in your life. Um, but if you're going to enter into new seasons and new chapters, Patty, that God has for you and do that well, you also have to know how to end well. Does that make sense? There are a lot of people that always want the new thing, the next thing, and they think that's their fix, that's their solution, yet they never end a season well. They never come out of a season in a healthy way, and they're just leaving carnage and wreckage behind them. And I would just say this, it's, it's impossible to start fresh on a good foundation if you haven't ended the previous season well. God is a God who knows how to begin things, but he also knows how to finish them. He's an author and a finisher of our faith. He said on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, right? He began that work and he finished that work. And so he does it with perfection. We do it with imperfection. But nonetheless, we need to transition well and end well out of seasons that we are coming out of in order to step into the next seasons in a healthy way. And I can't stress that enough. But I'm not going to preach a message on that today. I am going to preach a message on new beginnings and fresh starts. So open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation. It's like the Spirit of God just moves when you say that. You know, wow, that's anointed. Revelation. Um, those of you who've been here in the last couple months know I've preached a few messages out of these first couple chapters in Revelation. And part of that is I've been doing a pretty deep study, and God's been speaking to me a lot about these seven churches and these seven letters that it opens up in the first few chapters of Revelation with in this vision to John. Of course, it moves out of those seven letters to the seven churches. The rest of Revelation is certainly an end times or eschatology type of book. But um, those seven letters to those seven churches are very important or very significant because those seven, seven usually represents wholeness. It really represents a full message for the church in every generation, in every era that we need to be aware of. And the things that are being spoken to each of those seven churches are, are always timely and always important in the day that it was delivered, in the day today. And it also represents part of the church, uh, different characteristics of the church in the final days before Christ returns. And what you'll find is that in seven of those letters, five of them, the message is one of correction or admonishment. Where God's saying, look, I need to correct you in this thing. You need to come out of this thing you fell into and get back to another place where you once were. And the other two are letters of encouragement and exhortation where those churches are, are doing well. And in this particular letter that we're going to read in Revelation chapter 3 with the faithful church of Philadelphia, that is the case. It's an encouraging letter because God calls this church the faithful church which means that they have remained faithful, that they have endured and, be, and been steadfast, even though circumstances all around them, probably politically, economically, culturally, all those things, have really swayed hard against them being able to remain faithful, but yet they have. And God's praising them for that and reminding them that he is still on his throne. And even when circumstances around look grim, God is, is going to still get the victory. So let's read in Revelation chapter 3 and verses 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, 
He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. Just pause right there. Lord, we ask you to speak to us today. God, speak to us fresh. Help us to encounter you in a new way. There's never a point where we've seen all sides there are to see of you, God. And so we're asking for fresh revelation, fresh encounter today. Speak to us by your word in a way that nourishes our soul, Lord. I pray you would anoint me to just re- release this message in the environment today as you've given it to me. But God, help me to just get out of the way so that you can come forth and that you can be the focal point of everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I, I love the way that all of these letters open, just first of all, where it says, to the angel of the church of... Don't you love that? I mean, think about that for a second. There's a message being delivered to the church, but the message is being delivered to an angel that's overseeing that church. Now, an angel does sometimes mean messenger, and some people think that's probably like a pastoral figure or a leader of the church in that generation. Could be. But I also know that there are angels that are always watching over God's people and that are on assignment sent by God to care for and fulfill God's mission for them. And so when I think about the fact that we are in this church, in this era, in this generation that we're in, I am completely aware that there are heavenly hosts surrounding the work that we are doing to help the mission of God's kingdom advancing here on this earth. We have staff and we have ministry leaders and all that, but there are divine staff that are in the heavenly realm looking out for us and advancing things on our behalf because that's what God's will and his mission that he sent them to do is. Don't you love that? To the angel of the church of Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia. So Philadelphia is a region kind of in the east in a province known as Pennsylvania. It's where the Philadelphia Eagles come out of. Just kidding. It's a joke. Fighting for their life today. Um, No, I believe it's in the area of, of Ephesus is where Philadelphia was. But he calls this church the faithful church. And they've stayed faithful and they've stayed true. And... Before he gives the rest of this message, which you could kind of read the passages in verses like 9 through 18 or whatever it is, the rest of that letter, uh, he opens with just this like setting the stage of things, just kind of this uh, setting of firsts here. And he says, I just want you to know this before the message that he gives comes out. He says, I just want you to remember and know that I am holy, I am true. I'm the God who opens doors that no man can shut, and I shut doors that no man can open, and I have the key of David. And then he gives the message. And I think today, that's the direction that I want to go, is I want to talk to you about divine opportunities, or God doors that only God can open. And for a lot of my life, I spent my years, I'd say most of my 20s, with this mentality that, like, if it, was, if it was meant to be, it's up to me. Like, I got to make my way. I got to create my opportunities. I got to make things happen, baby. Like, I'm the one. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to take control of my life and put it in my own hands. And <laughs> there's just so much futility in that when you, when you try to live life that way. And thank God I was able to realize that, um, you know, as I started coming in to my 30s. And here's, here's what I've come to realize. We have to do what God calls us to do. You, you can't 
negate or be negligent of the things God's already speaking and, and requiring of us. For example, we do have to work hard, right? I mean, the Bible says in Proverbs that uh, a hand of a diligent person will prosper, but a slack hand will become poor. I mean, you can't, you can't negate that, that we have to be hard workers. We have to be diligent in our work. You also have to acknowledge that we must pursue excellence. It's not okay to do things halfway, haphazardly. It says if, you, if you're going to do anything, John, Colossians 3, if you're going to do anything at all, you need to do it with your whole heart, all your might, your spirit, your heart, your passion, and do it in a way where you do it unto God and not to men and give him glory for that. We have to pursue excellence. These things are, are, are serious truths in the Bible. But here's the point that I want to make is that along the way in doing all of those things, there's only so much that you can do. And really, without God's divine supernatural assistance, you can never do enough. But with his supernatural assistance, we can actually fulfill a mission, a purpose, a destiny that he's created us for here in this world. And he says here in these scriptures when he opens, he says, I open doors that no man can shut, and I shut doors that no man can open. The word door, used many other places in the Bible, it means this. It means a portal or an entrance, a gate, an entryway a divine opportunity. So think about a physical door, right? We already saw a hand passing through this one, so this ought to be easy. If that happens again, it's going to mess my message up here, but because no man can open the door, you know. So, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Um, but, you know, that door is closed, and once that door opens and it swings open, we can pass through that doorway and we can get to what's on the other side. From here, you can't really see anything when the door's closed. Once the door opens, you can peer into it a little bit, but you really don't know what's back there until you get back there. Are you with me? There's reason why he uses this language. This is metaphorical language because we can relate to this and understand this, but make no mistake, this is a spiritual term. This is a spiritual realm implication that means there are literally spiritual doorways entry points, divine opportunities that God is putting in front of us and preparing a way for us to enter into and advance into new seasons and new purposes in our lives. Really, our walk here on this earth is kind of like a series of doors, transition points, you know, moving from season to season. We know that. The Bible says that as long as the earth remains, that seasons will remain. Seed time and harvest, day and night, winter and summer. Like those are seasons. God created that way. There's an ebb and flow to things. And so we know that we're going to see a series of these transitional moments. But there are doors of opportunity, divine opportunities along the way that God himself will open for us so that we can move into new things. So how many people are ready for divine opportunities in 2020? Everybody say divine opportunities. It's the title of the message today, if you're taking notes. And so, um, and so here's the thing. We need to understand some points, some truths about these doors, about these portals, about these entrances, these divine opportunities that God will put in front of us if we're going to pass through them well if we're going to actually advance through them into new series, new stages in, of our destiny. There's things we've got to understand. And the first thing we have to understand is it's God who opens them. Okay? God opens them. He says here in this verse, very important point, he says, I have the key of David. 
So he says, I have the authority to open them. I have the authority to open these doors that no man can open for you. And, and, and God will actually be the one who makes a way for us through these things. Um, I would just say to that, like, wow, that blows me away that God wants to open doors for me. And he wants to open doors for you too. And I want you to live your life in a way where you have faith for that, where you're believing for that, you're, you're expecting that. I don't want to suggest that you know when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen, the how and the when, you know, God's in control of all that. But I do want you to have faith for the fact that God will open these doors for you. Does that make sense? And, and here's why I say that. Even in the church, you, you'd be amazed at how many people live their life with a defeated mentality, a, a very pessimistic outlook where they would never expect the door to open. Oh, you know, I'm just going to be stuck in this job for the rest of my life. Oh, this is just the relationship that I'm, this is never going to change. This is my lot in life. Oh, you know, it's not going to happen for me. Things happen for other people. And it's a victim, not a victor mentality. It's, it's totally contrary to Scripture in its false identity. It's almost like identity theft, you know, where the enemy steals the true identity from our, our place of faith and issues us a false identity. And then we live by a false identity. It's a victim mentality. You're not a victim. You can live like one, but you're not one by your nature. If you have the divine nature of God in you, you are a victor, not a victim. You are more than a conqueror. You're a head, not the tail. You're above and not beneath. Greater is he who's in you than he's in the world. Like, this is all true. Do you believe it? Like, you know, you're a victor, not a victim. And so we need to have faith for God to do these things, for him to open these doors of opportunity because he very much wants to do that for us. We see them all through Scripture happening in the lives of people who are following God. So the first point I want to make here is that you can't open them yourself. You cannot open them yourself. It kind of goes back to the point I made about how I I've sort of viewed my life and things were up to me. Like I can try to get myself to these points and pass through these points, but I can't open these doors. God has to do that. Listen to this in Colossians chapter 4. Paul says this, verse 2. He says to the church at Colossae, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. And so he's, Paul is Paul, the apostle Paul. Saw all kinds of doors open. He's, this is a man who's led by the Spirit. If there's anybody that's been led by the Spirit in a vast majority of his walk with Christ, it's this guy. He's led by the Spirit wherever he goes. He's the one that said, I go bound in the Spirit. I don't care if chains and tribulations await me. I can't not go. I'm, I'm led, right? And he's going bound in the Spirit. And so he, of all people, is petitioning prayer from the brethren for what? For God to open doors. Do you notice that? He's feeling a sense something's supposed to happen. God's up to something. He's doing something in an area or a region. But until God makes a way, till he makes an entry point, till he creates a portal, a divine opportunity, they're not passing through. You get that. He has to make a way. He has to build that bridge. He has to create that entry point for them. And Paul's not saying, I'm going to make a way, I'm going to create a door. He's not saying, come down there and help me figure out how we can make a door, how we can build a bridge. No. He's saying, just pray earnestly and don't stop praying 
that God would open a door for what we believe he wants to do. Because once he opens the door, that's it, baby. We're going through, and it's going to happen after that. You understand that? Like, we, we pray for God to do these things, for him to open these doors of opportunity in our lives and to know that it's only him who can do that. But we are humans, and we are people, and we are imperfect, every single one of us. And there are points that we get to where we kind of start to move out, maybe uh, miss the mark a little bit in how we handle these, these divine opportunities. And one of the things that we can do, been there plenty of times, so I know, is we can try to force our way through the door ourselves. It, it happens where God starts, it's like a like the onsetting of a work, right? It's like the groundswell, the beginning stages. You know it's coming. It's like being pregnant, right? It's, it's there, but until it births, it's not ready to be birthed. Well, God gives us a, a lot of that sense. Like he's up to something. He's doing something. And I think it might be this. It's happening in this area. So there's this, like this groundswell that's, that's occurring in us. And there's excitement. There's zeal. There should be. But in our impulsiveness, in our impatience as people, a lot of times what we can do is try to lower our shoulder and just ram through that door when it's not actually open yet because we want it to open. It's like, I got to have it, God, and I got to have it now. Yes. Right? And then we just take control of timing. We take it away from God. We take control of timing, and we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force my way through this door. And we try to push our way through it. And it never ends well. It never ends well because here's the, here's the reality. Until God swings the thing open and makes a way, you can't pass through without harming yourself. You just can't. And I was thinking back to a time whenever we were at our old house, and uh, our daughter, Evie, she's our fourth daughter. I don't think Liza and Dax were born yet. Liza might have been. But anyway, Evie, she was probably only one or two at the time. And she was having nightmares at night. She was waking up screaming and crying. And of course, you know, we go in there and pray over her and comfort her, and, and she'd go back to sleep. And this happened for a little while, and we just we prayed over it, and she did great after that. But for a number of nights, this happened. And when it did, uh, one night, we're, Katie and I were going to bed, and she goes over to shut the door to our bedroom. That's where our baby number five came in. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. No kids in this service, right? Oh, a couple. Uh, I didn't, uh, so... She goes over to shut the door, and uh, I said, I'm thinking about getting up in the middle of the night and running into Evie's room. You know, you're half asleep, and you, I take off running, and so I'm like, hey, babe, don't shut the door, you know? And so she's like, okay, so she, she reopens it, but when she reopens it, she just kind of opens it like part way. She didn't open it the full amount, and I remember looking at it thinking, man, I ought to go open that door all the way. Eh, whatever. And so I lay down and go to sleep. She lays down and go to sleep. Middle of the night comes Longbow, of course. We hear the screaming. Evie's woke up. She's having a nightmare. And Katie's part was is that she would get up, and then she would shake me. Matt! Matt! Evie! And then she would roll back over. Right? And then, because I was just like, oh, and I would jump up. And don't you like how I tell that story, babe? <laughs> I would jump up, spring out of bed, and almost like in one motion, like there would be flying out under the covers, and boom, my feet would hit the ground. And I would take off running to go fly through the door and go around the uh, hallway and into Evie's room and, and take care of her. It's just like an you know, impulse. And uh, so this happens. She shakes me, Evie. I jump up. I take off running. 
And as I'm taking off, I went to just run straight through the door. It's dark to go right through the open door, <laughs> mind you, that would have been great if it was. Yeah, it was like on a 45-degree angle. It was not opened all the way. It was like on this perfect angle. And I mean to tell you, it felt like somebody took a baseball bat and just cracked me right in the forehead. I mean, lights out, baby. It was a knockout situation. Somehow, I've never figured this part out. Somehow, my big toe on my right foot managed to slide underneath the door and it ripped my tone, like peeled it all the way back. Yes, I know. How does that happen? I'll tell you how. Somebody doesn't leave the door open, that's how. I'm out. It had to be a few seconds, because I come to, I, I get up slowly, I, I limp into Evie's room. She's already, I think she's already back, whatever. I pray over her, everything's, you know, I'm half out of it. Come back, get in bed, go to sleep. The next morning, I wake up. I go to get out of bed, and my foot, I'm like, oh, my toe, oh, my head. I have a splitting headache. Katie's in there brushing her teeth. You know, I walk in the bathroom. She turns, and I had this huge egg, huge, my whole forehead with a line down the middle of it. And I walk in the bathroom, and she turns to me, and she goes, <laughs> what happened to you? I said, Come here, let me show you what happened to me. You don't remember the door? Kind of, you know. So the point of that is, until the door is all the way open, do not try to force your way through the thing. You will get hurt. But we do that. We try to force our way through. The next point that I want to make is that once God opens the door, no man can shut it. That's powerful. You cannot be robbed of a divine opportunity from a man. You cannot be robbed of that. You can self-destruct, but no man can take and close the door for you that God is opening. I love that. That's so liberating to me. The Bible says that we should, you should never fear man. Curses the man who, who makes flesh's strength, right? We should never fear man in any way. Um, so once God shuts the door, no man can open it, but you must walk through it. You must walk through it. That's the part we need to understand. God will never grab you by the collar. Sometimes I wish he would, you know. And he'll never grab you by the collar and drag you through the door. To just, come on. And you got to walk through it. And it's amazing that, again, thinking spiritual, right, spiritual doors. <clears throat> it's amazing how a lot of times people will come to these moments and God will open the door. And they'll just they'll stand, and they'll never pass through. Why do they not pass through? I think one of the biggest reasons is fear. Paralysis by fear. Afraid of the unknown. Afraid of the God-sized opportunities. And, it, and it's, it's an honest mistake. Here's what happens. We see the God-sized opportunity. And we compare our own abilities. And I think, I can never do that. I'm so afraid to fail, Lord. I can't, I don't want to do that. But the problem is, is that we look internally at ourselves, our own abilities. You can't compare a God-sized opportunity to a natural ability. You have to compare the God-sized opportunity to the author of that opportunity and his strength that works in you. 
That's why God said to Paul, he said, look, don't worry about it. My grace is sufficient for you because actually in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. That's how this thing works. You're not strong because of you. You're strong because of me. You can't do this because of you. You can do this because of me. So when we size those things up properly, we can walk through in faith. If we size them up improportionately, disproportionately, it causes fear by paralysis. We begin to doubt. We begin to question. And a lot of people stand on the edge of stepping out and never make those plunges for God because of the fear of failure. It holds a lot of people back. So that's one reason we don't pass through. But here's another reason. And this one's a little different. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. I'm going to kind of get in your stuff a little bit on this one because I need people to get in my stuff. And so hopefully it's okay if I get in your stuff. But here's the deal. Sometimes these doors open and we don't pass through for another reason. Let's say God opens this door. Beyond that door of opportunity is a new, let's say, elevation. You're, you're ascending. God's raising you up. He's moving you into greater levels of your destiny. But as you go up, here's what happens. There's things that you have to put down and leave behind. So let's pretend that this is, I don't know, pride, shame, um, unforgiveness. I mean, you fill in the blank. It could be that little hidden sin that nobody knows about but you and God, by the way. And here's what happens. Oh, I see the door, God. The opportunity. Yes, Lord, I see it. And I'm, 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 I'm ready, God. I'm, what's going on? I'm trying to come through. Why is this not happening? I want more, God. I want more. And God's saying, look, in order for you to fit through there and pass through there, you have to put this thing down that's keeping you from going through. Isn't that amazing? You see, in order to ascend to higher elevations, you have to be willing to cut loose of dead weight. You just do. And there's never a point in our life where we're perfect. So there's always a purging process that God's just gradually working us out more and more into the image of Christ. And so there's always going to be something we have to lay down or let go of at any season in our lives. We're all the same in this. Your sin and my sin, anything, imperfections, they're not worse than another's. We're just, we're just all a bunch of imperfect people who serve a perfect God. But he's saying, where I want to take you, that can't go. So if you can't let go of that, you can't come through there. But if you'll set that thing down and get light on your feet, you can pass through and you can ascend into higher elevations that I want to take you to. So those are a couple ways and reasons that we end up not passing through doors of opportunity that God has for us. Now listen to this. This is something you need to be prepared for. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's basically telling them he's planning a visit to come there. He wants to be with them and edify them and impart to them, but he's, he's not able to come yet. And this is what he says. He says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. You know, I'll hang around and stay there. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. A great and effective door, which means an, a powerful energio in the Greek. It's the same word that's used when it says the word of God is alive and powerful. It's, it's a work of God that's happening is what he's saying. It's alive. It's happening. It's, it's living right here. We're, we're moving in this thing. He says, God has opened a great and effective door for me. 
Hallelujah. I think God wants to open great and effective doors for you in 2020. I believe that. But notice what he says at the very end. And you need to understand this. Be willing to let go of dead weight. Be able to step through and trust God for what's on the other side. Not be afraid of failure. But you've got to understand this too. On the other side, yes, there are great things. God has things you can't see yet fully that are waiting for you there. But there are also more adversaries. There are more adversaries. Because when you go up, God takes you up to a new level in your destiny. You've heard the term new level, new devil. Guess what? You become a different target. Your threat is greater as God takes you up. It just is. And you become a greater threat, and so you become a different target. The enemy will hit you harder with things he's been hitting you with, and he'll come at you with new things too. He'll come at you with different challenges and different tripwires and different stumbling blocks than he's come at you with before. You don't need to be afraid of that. You don't need to fear that. You just need to know that and be prepared to fight that. That's why it says in the Bible that you must be aware and wise to the schemes and the cunning devices and wiles of the devil, his trickery. You just need to know that. You need to be aware of that and know how to fight it. You don't need to be afraid of it. You just need to be prepared for it. So you got to recognize if, you're, if you want to go where God wants to take you, you're going to have to be ready for war. You have to be ready to battle. And the enemy is not going to, he's not going to walk away. He, unless you use authority to push him away. But he's going to try to keep you from advancing in what God has for you. So there will be many adversaries. The next point I want to make is, and you, you have to consider this in all of these verses, God opens doors that no man can shut. And here's the point, the next one, but God closes doors too. He has the authority to do it, and it's part of how he operates. He closes doors too. These are some of the places where I've struggled a lot with. You, you think God's going to do something. You're wanting something. Maybe you're, there's a little bit of self mixed in. You know, you kind of have a personal desire for it that's maybe a little unhealthy. That's your own self-seeking, whatever it may be. You're looking for this thing. You want this thing. It seems like God's going to do this thing. You, you, you're wanting it. And then all of a sudden, the door closes. The job offer goes away. Uh, they call and say, you didn't get the position. And they call and say, you know, we're, we're not going to accept that application. I don't know. It looks like a lot of different things. Point is, he closes it. It could be on relationships too, by the way. He closes a door. And we have a tendency to, re to react adversely to that. I get it. But let me encourage you as a mature believer that we need to trust God in those moments. Because I can look back over my life and I can see the doors that God closed and I wanted to throw a pity party and poor me in those moments and feel sorry for self, you give it two, three years, you look back, I'm so thankful that he closed the door. You gotta know, God's protecting you. He's advancing you and he's protecting you. And when he closes a door, trust me, it needs to be closed. And we, not, we may not understand, I mean, look, you, you probably won't understand all of that. Understanding is not conditional to faith. You get that? Like, you, you may have to just step back and say, what I know about you, God, is that you're good. What I know about you is that you're protecting me. What I know about you is that you want to take me into new places of my destiny. What I know about you is that you want to use me. And you close the door, so I'm just going to choose to see all these things that I already know about you. And I'm going to trust you that that door closed for good reason. And it was for my well-being. There's this 
situation in the book of Acts where the apostles are kind of trying to move into some different areas to take the gospel. And, of course, that's a, a well-intentioned mission, right? They want to take the gospel to these different places. I've always been fascinated by these verses. It's in Acts 16. I think it's 16. Yeah, Acts 16. And um, it, says, it says this. It says they tried to go to a region called Messiah, but then the Spirit did not permit them. So God closed the door. They were trying to go into Messiah, and they were doing it to, for good reason, and then God closed the door. So, okay, not going to work. They back up. And then they tried to go to Bithynia, and it says that the Spirit would not permit them. Close the door. Okay, it's not there. Thought it was there. Thought it was there. It's not there. But then it says is that Paul got a vision for a man in Macedonia calling to him saying, come to Macedonia. And so they set out to go to Macedonia, and God opened the door. He made a way, and they went in, and the gospel exploded in the region of Macedonia. The New Testament church was birthed and thrived in that area for many, many years after that. The gospel reached those unreached people. What's the point of that? We'll never have perfect understanding. That's the point of that. But we are not flat-footed, idle people. We don't sit back and just wait, thinking, I'll just wait and see if anything happens, and I'm just not going to do anything unless it does. Living for God looks a lot like those verses in Acts 16. I'm going to try to go to Messiah. Oh, didn't work. Okay, God, I trust you, but I'm seeking your will. I think maybe you're going to Bithynia. Nope, God, okay, that's cool. I'm going to somewhere else. Lord, I'm waiting. Where do you want me to go? Macedonia. Okay, I'm going to try to go. Oh, the door has opened. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're going to camp out here, and we're going to do some work because God just made a way. That's how living for God looks. It's not perfect understanding. But you have to be willing to step out and take risks and this is why intimacy is so important. The work that you're going to do requires intimacy because intimacy builds sensitivity, and you need sensitivity to know where the work is and how to do it and where to go. So that's where intimacy comes in. So you've got to have a close relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's got to be on fire. But then when you go to move, you move for God. And as you try to go in those areas, you just you kind of test it. You see what's going on, what's happening. I think this is where the Lord is. I've said to Katie many times, like, I think the Lord is maybe in this. I think he might be calling us to do this. I can't be certain, but I think he is, as sure as I can be. I've prayed about it. I've sought him. I've got counsel from people I care about and trust, and this is what I think we should do. I've been wrong, and I've been right. And I hope that you can get permission in your own life to understand that you can live that way and still trust God that you will not derail and wreck the train. God will keep you on track to where he wants you to go. The key is you always seek his will above your own. You see, many doors have opened for men and women who are kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. God's will above our will. To, to, to think within our own realm of my life, my household, just kind of how it affects me, and to desire things and opportunities so that it could serve me is a small way of thinking. Our motive, our loftiest aim and agenda needs to be for the kingdom of God. Always the most important thing. And if that is our, that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Not your mission, not your assignment, not what you think you, seek the kingdom first. Then everything else will begin to flow out of that. Our objective, our heart needs to be for God's will above our own will. And if that is truly what we desire, as imperfect people who will make mistakes, God can do so much with that because you can be trusted 
Do you understand that? Much is given, much is required. If you're not faithful in little, you won't be faithful in much. But if you're trusted with little, you can be trusted with much. You've got to be trusted. For God to give you opportunities and to take you to places, he needs to know you're more about the kingdom than about self. You've got to be in that place in your heart. And then when you do, things will come along where you'll literally see there's a kingdom opportunity that's inconvenient for self. But I'll inconvenience self. I'll sacrifice pleasure and self because I'm more about the kingdom than I am about self. Does that make sense? The doors of opportunity open widely for kingdom-minded people. And, and God is, is wanting to work that in us. He wants to give us a bigger picture, a bigger vision for what it is that he's doing here on this earth. And it's been happening for ages and generations. It precedes us in our lifespan, and it'll likely go beyond our lifespan as well until Jesus returns. He's been working on the earth for millenniums, and he's not going to stop until heaven literally comes and rests over this earth, and it's once and for all God's perfect place. And all we... He's asking is for us to be about what he wants more than we're about ourselves. Praise God for that. I'll close with this, and then I'm going to invite Guy and the team to come back up. There's one other place where I stumbled upon, as I was studying this, where it talks about a door, <clears throat> a passageway. And it's a little different in this particular case, but so relevant for the message. It's in John chapter 10. And in this particular scripture, Jesus refers to himself as the door. He says, I'm the door, and by me you pass through. And he makes it really, really clear. You know, Jesus just draws lines where lines have to be drawn. And he says, you can only come through me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's no other way. There's no other door. It's me. I'm the entry point into eternity. I'm the entry point to salvation. I'm the Savior. There's no other way, no other path that will get you there. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many fall by it, but narrow is the path that leads to righteousness, and few find it. It's narrow not because it's hard. It's narrow because it's singular. You get that? There's not a bunch of ways to do it. It's really simple. It's, it's just singular, and so it's narrow. But if you've never given your heart to Christ, if you've never passed through that door, if you've never said yes to him, his invitation to receive his grace, to receive his love, to be born again, to have the spirit of God fill you from the inside, to be heaven bound, to exchange your old nature for a new nature, the nature of God living on the inside. If you've never done that before, you've never made the decision, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And I just continue to be amazed at how churches in, in the United States across our land, there's so many people sitting in churches who have not been born again because they're hearing messages and they're hearing theories, but they're not being transformed. We have to come to a point where we make a decision to truly surrender, let go of our lives and turn entirely to Christ and be liberated and freed from the bondage of sin and death. When that happens, everything begins. And it never begins before that. That is the beginning point for everything that God has for you. You have to be filled with His Spirit. And once you do, you're born again. You're a new creation in Christ. And His destiny begins to be unfolded to you. And you walk this thing out to a place of maturity until you go to a place of perfection after this life. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name.
I pray that you would pull people's hearts today. If there's anyone here, God, who doesn't know you, who hasn't given their life to you, I pray that you would tug at their heart right now.